Well, as I said, I don't know if I said it earlier or not, but we are in the second week of the series we've titled Speaking of Jesus, where we are looking to become eager conversationalists, where we are seeking to become eager in speaking of Jesus. But last week we talked about how it seems that while there are more Christians alive on earth today than ever before, we're more reluctant than ever before to have those spiritual conversations, to have those conversations of faith. And so we admitted last week that maybe we, the church, have lost our passion for speaking of Jesus, and maybe we've lost our passion for Jesus. And we said we want to spend these next seven weeks seeking to reignite that passion, and I believe it's God that you'll see that is working to ignite that passion in all of us, even when we don't perceive it. You know, one of the things that we're talking about this week is God is working even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, God is working. We see that in the text that you just heard read. God was working even though Peter didn't perceive it. God is still working today even though you and I don't always perceive it. There's a stat I'd like to share with you that I think reveals that. It says 62% of non-Christians and Christians who no longer practice their faith say they would be open. Again, they would be open to talking about faith matters with someone who listens without judgment. God is working in the hearts of those people that do not know him or those who have walked away and, and they're admitting that they're open. And I think that openness has something to do with God working even when we don't see it. We have an opportunity if we'll follow. And so this morning we said our message title is Be Ready. Why? Because God is working. God is working all around us, and we see that in Acts chapter 10. Clearly, God is working even when Peter can't perceive it. You know, I was at my, my oldest daughter's house this summer, and we went and saw t-ball games, and I have a five-year-old grandson, another one is eight. And so you'd see at the five-year-old's game, you'd hear these parents, the entire game, saying to their kids that are at the plate and in the field, be ready, be ready right? Get ready. And their son is out in the field picking grass or looking up, at the, looking up at the clouds, right? And they're like, be ready, right? And they would turn around and they'd see their son and their son would be like this, glove up, knees bent, head up. That's what it looks like to be ready. That's the posture of readiness. And that's what we want to talk about today, which I think we see in this text. We see a posture of of readiness. Peter's not picking grass and looking up into the sky. No, Peter has a posture of readiness. And I think there are three things that mark that posture that I think God is saying to us, be ready because the ball is coming to you. Be ready. You need to have a posture of readiness. And we see in this text three different postures. We see a posture of being prayerful. We see a posture of humility, one of being humble. And finally, we see the third posture, one of faithfulness, a faithful posture. That is what it looks like to be ready. And we see that clearly in this text. So let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, open it up to Acts chapter 10. You can do so on your phone. And we're going to take a look at these three postures and learn how we can be ready for what God is doing and bringing people into our lives that we can have conversations with. God is tossing us the ball, 
and we need to be ready. The first thing we see in this text is that there's this posture of prayer, and we see it, first of all, in Cornelius, which is kind of shocking when you think about it because it says Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion, he served in the Roman army, that centurion meaning he was a, a man, you know, captain or, or in charge of a hundred people. He's well thought of. He's at a high rank in the Roman army, but yet he says he's a devout and God-fearing man, not just him, but his entire family. Now, he doesn't know of Jesus, but he's thought well of by the Jews because he's generous with his money and he's devout, meaning he observes all the Jewish laws but he's not allowed in the temple, well, at least not into the inner sanctum, right? He's kept out in the Gentile courts, so there's a separation because he's Gentile. His entire family is Gentile. They're not Jewish, but yet they're devout. And being devout, we see in the text that Cornelius prays. It says in the very beginning that he prayed often and regularly to God. And it's that time of the day, we're told at the, at the ninth hour, three in the afternoon, that he's praying to God. And it was during this prayer that he sees this vision. He has this posture of prayer, but we also see it within Peter. Right? Peter, we read in verse 9, it was about noon, the sixth hour of the day. Peter goes up onto the roof to be alone to pray. So he sees that behavior in his Savior, in his Lord Jesus. Jesus often were quoted going away to a solitary place to pray. And here's Peter, a devout follower of Jesus, regularly going to pray. He goes up on the roof to be alone to pray. And then he smells lunch from down below, wafting up. And we're told that in the midst of smelling lunch, he goes into this trance. And God speaks to him in prayer. A prayerful posture expects to hear from God. We go to prayer. This past week, our small groups have been praying for people in our lives that we seek to have spiritual conversations with. We've been praying for those people, expecting God to give us an opportunity to have a conversation. To be ready, we need to have a posture of prayer. The second posture we see is one of humility, one of being humble, and we see it within Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion. You would never expect a Roman centurion to think of himself as less than a Jew, but when Peter shows up at his house, what does Cornelius do? It says he bows down. Probably the first time in, the, in Peter's whole life that a Roman soldier bowed down to him. It had to be crazy for him. And it had to be crazy for anybody watching to see a centurion bowing down to a Jewish man, but that's what he does. He humbles himself before Peter. And what does Peter do? He says, get up. Don't worship me. I'm only a human. I'm, I'm just a man. You should not worship me. He doesn't stroll in like, here's Peter to save the day. Oh, no, it's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just a man. But then Peter does something else in those verses 27 to 29 that I think is remarkable and instructive for us. And this is what he says. He says, while talking with him, while Peter was talking with Cornelius, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Before that, we're told that Cornelius had invited friends and family members to come 
to the house because Peter was coming. So Peter comes in and he sees this large crowd of people and he said to these people, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles or visit them. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Do you see what Peter has done here? He walks into this room, all of these Gentiles who are devout, and he's a Jew walking into the room. They know he shouldn't be there. I mean, what is he doing here? They probably never had a Jewish man or any Jew into their home. That would be the last place a Jew would want to be found. And so for the first time, a Jew was walking into their house, and he had to have seen that look on their face. Like, like, what the heck are you doing in here? And what does Peter do? He calls it out. He calls out right away the elephant in the room. You know the law. You know that I shouldn't be in here. You know what has been commanded of me, a Jewish man, not to associate with Gentiles. But God has revealed to me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. See, the vision that God gave Peter was of this food that came down in this, in this sheet. And Peter makes this association with now with people. God reveals to Peter that nothing is unclean that God has made clean. So Peter makes the connection. He says, what Jesus Christ has done has put aside the Mosaic law, all the cleanliness laws, all the laws that require me to be spiritually clean. Now Jesus has made me clean. In fact, Jesus has paid for the sins of the entire world. If I'm to think of you as unclean, then I have to be unclean. But Jesus has paid for the sins of all mankind. And so I'm no longer called to consider people the way I used to see them. It's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. We no longer, God is no longer counting the sins of the world against us. So who am I to call you unclean when God has sent his son to make you clean. And Peter says, God has revealed that to me. That's why I'm here. Because God has reminded me of what Jesus has done. And then he goes on to this very humble statement. And I think you miss it if you're not paying attention. He says, may I ask, why you sent for me? I think you can read that in a very humble fashion. It's not like, so what do, what do you want to know? No, it's like I, I'm asking permission. May I ask, why is it you sent for me? What a beautiful picture for us. He calls out the elephant in the room and then asks a question. The person you're thinking of, the people that Maybe God is calling you to have a conversation with. Maybe there's something that's, there's an elephant in the room. Maybe the last time you were with that person, or maybe the last time you had a conversation about spiritual things, it didn't go well, and you weren't kind. Maybe it's time to call out the elephant in the room and say, you know what? The last time we met, I thought of you like this. But God has revealed to me through his word that I'm wrong to think that. I'm wrong to consider that. 
for I'm more concerned about the speck in your eye than the log in my own. I pray you can forgive me. May I ask that you would forgive me. Or maybe you show up at a place that you swore and you told friends and and everybody that would listen, I will never, ever show up at one of those places. Or I will never go to an event like that, especially with that group of people there. And then you show up and people are like, wait a minute, what are you doing here? I thought you said you would never, ever show your face in a place like this. Well, see, God has revealed to me that it's wrong for me to consider you less than. It's wrong for me to think of you as impure or unclean when Jesus Christ has died for you as well. Being ready requires us to have this posture of humility, admitting that Jesus, what Jesus has done for me, he's done for everyone. A posture of humility goes a long, long way into inviting spiritual conversations. And so finally, we see this third posture, one of faithfulness, because we can get down on our knees and we can pray and we can be humble and then we pull the punch. We don't do what we're called to do. We don't actually go and speak to them. We need to maintain a posture of faithfulness. One that says, when presented with the opportunity, I'm going to go as hard as it is, as challenging as it is, as much it makes no sense, I'm going to do it anyway. Because God is calling me to do it. Peter is faithful in that way. right? Peter is told by the angel, go downstairs, there's three men that have come for you. What does Peter do? He goes downstairs. And of course, there's three men, just like the voice told him he would. And what does Peter do? He goes with them. He actually goes where he's asked to go. And then what does he do in 34 to 43? He actually teaches. They ask, Cornelius says to him, he says, we've been asked to send for you because you have a message for us. We want to hear what it is you have to say. What does Peter do? He preaches the gospel. From 34 to 43, that's exactly what Peter does. He speaks of Jesus from the Lord of creation from the very beginning till now until what Jesus will do. See, we say the gospel, when we think about the gospel, we say saved by faith, through, saved by grace through faith alone. That's a center point of the gospel, but that's not the entire gospel. Read the book of Acts and you will see sermon after sermon, them preaching the gospel from the beginning to the end. It's the story of the children of Israel finding its resolution in the person of Jesus Christ and how we have been brought into that story. And that's the story that, they pre- that Peter preaches. And then finally, in 47 to 48, we see Peter also being faithful, doing what Jesus told him to do, and that was baptizing. Peter says, it is right that we do this. Do you see a pattern in what Peter does here? I hadn't seen this. And it not it, doesn't it remind you, that those of you that know the text, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth have been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. What's Peter doing? He's going, he's baptizing, and he's teaching. Doing exactly what his Lord and Savior and his rabbi told him to do. Even when it seemed kind of weird. Peter went 
he baptized, and he taught. That's what we're called to do. Even when it seems kind of strange, we're called to be faithful because God promises to be working even when we don't see him working. God is doing the heavy lifting. The other faithfulness we see in this text is God himself. God reveals himself in this text to always be faithful. We see God is working even when we don't see it. Verses one through nine, he's faithful. He's teaching and reaching out to Cornelius and his family. Cornelius doesn't believe in Jesus, but yet we're told that this spirit, this angel that comes to him says, your prayers, your generosity, your your graciousness has made its way to God and God sees it. Now he wants you to know about Jesus. See, the world around us, don't think they're not praying. Don't think they're not seeking God. Don't think that they're just trying to do it all their own. They're seeking answers. People that don't know Jesus are seeking answers. God's word says God has put eternity on the hearts of men. He's he's given the general knowledge of his existence so we understand that there's a higher power. They just don't know who that higher power is. But yet God is working in their lives. And we see God continuing to work in Peter's life in verses 9 through 20. God comes and teaches Peter. Remember, what does Peter say when when the sheet comes down and all this food is there? He says, get up, Peter, eat and kill, kill and eat. And Peter's like, oh, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean or impure in my entire life. No, I'm not doing it. When have you heard Peter do that before? We're going to go to Jerusalem, Peter. No, Lord, we're not going to Jerusalem. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, no, Lord, I would never deny you. And here it's like, Peter, get up, eat and kill. Like, no, Lord, I never would. And you're like, you're thinking, man, that that is so Peter. (laughs) He is just so Peter. And we're told that happens three times. That's no coincidence. God is faithful and patient with Peter, knowing who Peter is. And he's still teaching and instructing Peter because Peter is still yet not like his rabbi. And yet God is faithful. And that's why I think Peter writes this in his letter, In 2 Peter, he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter knew firsthand the patience of God. See, God's not calling us to be perfect. He's calling us to be prayerful, and he's calling us to be humble, and he's calling us to be faithful. And he promises to show up and do the heavy lifting. He promises to show up and be working ahead of you. And he promises to continually work within you, to mold you and shape you like his son. And then finally we see God being faithful by sending his Holy Spirit, just like he said he would. And we see in this story that God sends his Holy Spirit into the hearts of people while Peter is preaching the gospel. It is God that creates faith in the heart of the unbeliever. God still does that today, and he does that through your words. As you preach the gospel, as you share the good news of Jesus, you can trust that God is working and doing the heavy lifting. Even though he looks at you and he says, that's so Jessica, or yeah, that's so Kathy, (laughs) right? Yeah, that's so Bob. But you read in this text just how much he loves you in spite of those things, and he longs 
to mold you and shape you into the image of his son, and he promises never to leave you or forsake you. He promises to continue doing that work for the rest of your life. God is faithful, even when we are not. God is working. And you look at this story, and you see all this stuff, and you're like, man, that is so amazing that God is doing all that stuff, right? That is just so amazing. That's still happening today. You know, I was talking to a young pastor this week who two years ago planted a church. And he had some people go with him when he planted this church. And he was sent from another church. And one of the things they did at that church two and a half years ago was they put together a video and they went to the place where they were planting a church and they took video of the place and of the people in this community. And they played it back at the home church and they, they played it on the weekend that they were asking for offerings to go, to go to this plant. And so just a month ago, this young pastor pulls up that video kind of reminiscing back to the days before they left. And he's looking at the video and in the video he's like, is that Carrie? So he rewinds it and pauses it and he's like, I think that's Carrie. See, Carrie's a young woman who came to faith at his church and was baptized who was filmed two and a half years ago in a, in a random video. And he goes to Carrie, he goes, okay, Carrie, I just need to know, is that you? And she's like, yeah, that's me. And she came to the church because someone invited her to a small group, and then she came to church. See, she was invited into a relationship. But he also pointed out to me that he told his church, he says, you know what, if God had told us that Carrie in this video right there is going to come to faith and be baptized here at Rock River? He goes, then we would have spent the last two and a half years searching for high and low. He says, and we probably would have missed all these other people. See, God is working. We can trust that he's working. And we can name people and we can point to people, but we can't get fixated on just one or two people because God is working all around us. So he's saying, be ready. If you'll maintain a posture of readiness, you won't be saying, oh, that's so amazing. Here's what you'll say. That is just so God. <laughs> that is just so God. I just didn't see him. I didn't see it coming, and there it was. That is just so God. Because you know why? Because he's working. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. And he's saying to us today, be ready. Because I so desire for you to know what it feels like to catch a ground ball for the first time. I so long for you to experience what so many have experienced, if you'll just be faithful, prayerful, and humble, and let me do the heavy lifting and see if I'm not true to my word. So this weekend, I want to remind you, this week, be ready. Be ready, because God is working. 